Is this LMA? Try. The LMA of gut feeling? The LMA of trip? Of shot clock? The Grammy-winning, BET award-winning LMA of South London? The LMA of 2017's genius booed up? Yes, this is LMA. (laughs) Okay, Black Girl Songbook listener, you know me. I'm Danielle Smith, host of Your Black Girl Songbook, the place where Black women in music receive the credit we are due. How are you? I hope you're well in these very wild times. We are grateful as ever that you choose to spend some of your time with us listening to stories about Black women and the music they create and the lives that they live. That being said, LMA is here. I am a fan of Boot Up and not a regular fan. I am like a big, giant, massive, huge, tearful, emotional, happy fan of LMA's Boot Up and of LMA Howell, period. LMA called in from Washington, D.C. on the eve of the release of her new album, Heart on My Sleeve. It's out now. And I've been listening to it pretty much nonstop. Heart on My Sleeve is, without question, one of the best albums released so far this year. LMA's Heart on My Sleeve is destined for greatness. And I'm excited. Because we have been wanting LMA to join us since our first season of Songbook. We are literally now in the second half of our season three. Shout out to the whole team, everybody at The Ringer, et cetera, et cetera. Third season of Your Black Girl Songbook. And we've been wanting LMA to join us since season one. On this episode, we're going to talk about her songs and the art and the act of songwriting. We're going to talk to LMA about life as an alpha girl. And that's her phrase, and I love it. On this episode, we're going to talk about conveying emotion and feeling our emotions. And I'm happy to tell you also And I'm happy to tell you also that I asked her something that she said she's never been asked before. Oh, and we're going to listen to actually a bunch of music. We're going to talk about that thing, that thing, that thing. We're going to talk about love and partnership. And where real love, to quote Mary J. Blige, where real love fits into music now alongside the necessary lyrical conversation about toxic love. Ella Mae believes we've got to talk as much about good love as we talk about toxicity. And me, your host, I'm here for it. Okay. Let me ask what I've been wanting to ask since I first heard Booed Up. The first, I guess, conversation point I have with you is just, it's fair to say that you know how to write well about love. Is it? Uh, Well, before I answer your question, um, thank you. And congratulations on your third season. And I'm glad that I can finally be here. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, I would, I, I would think it's safe to say, <laughs> I would like to think it's safe to say that. Um, I love, I love love. I'm a lover girl. I keep telling everyone that. And um, I think especially in this day and age where I feel like like toxic or to- toxicity is like really, really uh, overhyped, I feel like, in my opinion. Um, and I understand that it's like, that's something that exists. So that should be spoken about as well. But I just, I just love love and I love to like, I love to write love songs. Um, so yeah, I would like to, I would like to think so. So when you're writing, 
what 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 are you doing? Like, are you do you have your phone in your hand? Are you a pen and paper person? Like, what are you what are you actually doing when you're writing these amazing lyrics? Because I have to talk to you about some of the lines from the new album because they're impeccable. Oh, thank you. Um, when I first started songwriting, I was a pen and paper girl, and there's I feel like there's something therapeutic about writing stuff down physically. Mm-hmm. But then as I got like into the studio a little bit more, it's just more efficient to use your phone because it's faster. Um, but I do hope that one day I will go back to pen and paper. I do still write a lot of stuff down. Like if I wrote a song on my phone, once the song is finished, I'll write it down because I just think, like I said, there's like a therapeutic feeling about pen and paper to me. It just I don't know if it reminds me of like my childhood or I just like to see stuff in my own handwriting. I feel like it makes it a lot more personal as opposed to like, being on the phone um so yeah I started off pen and paper but I've transitioned into into a phone writing girl (laughs) right and and it's also more shareable like if you have to send it to somebody or you need somebody to get it super shareable but you bring up your childhood and I and I understand correct me where I'm wrong it seems to me that you were born in South London lived there until you were 12 and then moved to Queens, um, the borough of New York City, and then back to London. Is that pretty much right? That's correct. Yeah, I'm, I, I was born and raised in South London, moved to Queens when I was 12, lived in Queens for five years, graduated high school in Queens. Um, and when I was 17, about to turn 18, moved back to London. What precipitated the move from London to the United States when you were 12? My mom. So my mom, my mom used to be a teacher. She's been a teacher my whole life. Uh, she's retired now. She doesn't work anymore, but um, she's, I have family in New York and my mom's always been really obsessed with New York. Um, she loves it. So she got a job, a teaching job out there and me, obviously me being 12, I had no choice. I had to go wherever my mom was. Um, so yeah, we just kind of took the leap and we lived with my cousin at first in Jamaica, Queens. Um, and I lived in Jamaica, Queens, I think I want to say for three years. And then we moved to Kew Gardens. I lived in Kew Gardens for two years and then I moved back home. Oh, okay. And did you go to performing arts high school as I think you went to performing arts school in South London? No. When I first moved to New York, I was 12, about to be 13. And I was in eighth grade. So I would have obviously been going to high school the year after. So in order to audition for performing art schools in New York, um, you have to know the national anthem. So I remember on my 13th birthday, I went to audition for Frank Sinatra High School because that's where I really wanted to go, obviously, for performing arts. And I got there and was very underprepared because I didn't know the national anthem. I literally just moved to the country two months ago. Um, And they sent me home because I couldn't sing the national anthem. So I couldn't audition. And there were other auditions that were coming up after that. But I feel like I was just super discouraged, which I shouldn't have been. I should have learned it and um, auditioned for the other ones. But yeah, I got sent home on my 13th birthday. I'll never forget that. So I just was just like, you know what? I'm just going to go to a normal public school and figure it out elsewhere. Wow. But you knew at that point, or I should really ask you, at what point did you know how good your voice was and how much you wanted to sing professionally? You know, when I was a, when I was a little girl, I've, I've literally been singing from, I don't even, I can't even remember from how young I was. Um, and my mum will always tell the story about I was just always, always singing. Like my, I have an older brother and he would always, like when we were younger, just always tell me to be quiet because I just wouldn't shut up. Um, but when I moved to New York, because I was already, like everyone used to ask me to speak because I had a different accent. Um, and it was like, you know, unfamiliar other than seeing stuff on TV about English people. Um, because I was already like different, quote unquote, um, I shied away from singing. I didn't sing at all when I was in New York. I did one vocal program um, at the end of eighth grade at Stuyvesant High School. Um, And then the next time I literally sung was at my high school graduation. And no one who I'd been in high school with for four years knew I could sing. Like I never told them. I really shied away from it. Yeah, I used to play soccer. And that was like my main interest when I was in high school. I was so sure I was going to be a professional soccer player. Um, Because I played played in England before... we call it football in England, but it's really yes. big at home. Um, and then what, I just, posi- what position were you playing? I played right wing. So I Look at my, you. Yeah, I played for my school and I played for an outside team in Long Island also. Um, and then, yeah, so I was so sure that I was going to um, be a professional soccer player. But then once I moved back home, 
I kind of just had to pick between the two and I chose music. And I'm actually very glad that I chose music. I need to know more about soccer and if you still play and all that kind of stuff. But I have to talk to you about a couple of songs first. Okay, so let's start just from the top of the new album. Trying, singing over those crisp finger snaps. Yes. Okay, so I'm just going to tell you the lines that got me just off the rip. Okay. The idea, the words, I never felt so soft. (laughs) You throw my decisions off. Yeah. And this idea that... A person is trying real hard and it is good enough though, because so often people say, oh, you know, somebody's trying too hard. It's a whack energy, but this is kind of a, a flip of that. Am I wrong? You're, you're very, very right. Trying was one of the, the, the funner, I feel like songs to make, like it's really, it's really light. My vocal is really, really light, but it's, uh, it's, it's really happy. And I think being in situations where you've, well, or like being in situations previously where someone's not trying hard enough or just kind of not meeting uh, your level of like what you expect from a partner. And then finally feeling like you, your experience in that is like a be- it's a beautiful thing. Since we're talking about it, let's go on ahead and listen to trying just a little snatch of it. And then we'll talk more about what it means to you and how it came together after that. Yeah, I see you trying real hard and that's good enough Spend a little more time so that's good enough Now you're all on my mind and that's good enough For me, for me That lift at the end just seals the mood That mood of finding your person It just makes it feel possible I think that's kind of like what we all wait for Or or, or long for, I guess you could say um, So I'm very used to, like, I'm, I feel like I'm quite an alpha female and I'm very used to, um, like, being the dominant one in the relationship. Yes. And uh, in in that situation that I was speaking about, I didn't feel like that. But that's always been, like, a, I, I feel like it's always been super conscious that I wanted to be, like, the dominant one in the relationship. But I could actually take a step back and appreciate, like, a different side of that role. Still being an alpha female and still being assertive and, and you know, knowing what I want, but just feeling comfortable enough and having someone make me feel super, super soft and that I didn't always have to, like, have my guard up and be this super, super strong uh, woman, really. It, it's amazing the way what you're talking about right now comes through, obviously, in the lyrics that I quoted, and there's so many great bars in the song like there's a a line where you say you really winning like you got my attention it's such a strong thing from an alpha girl Mm -hmm. to say to a person that she likes like it's wild and the song is so optimistic I I love like you said at the beginning of our conversation it's like you believe in love and it's like girl you have strings at the end of the song Mm mm-hmm it's amazing. I, I mean, I had to thank you. I uh, when I made trying, it's funny that you say that, um, and I love the way you're breaking it down. It actually makes me really happy to to know that you like. Obviously, you really, really listened, and I really appreciate that. Um, when we first made trying, um, there weren't any strings on it, and I just <gasps> said, like, when we were coming up with the track list, I was like, trying is the perfect introduction to all of the rest of the stuff that I'm speaking about on the album. But I was like, we need some strings on here. We need a violin player. We need to make it like, you know, I, I don't know. Like you said, it just feels like love and it is super, super op- optimistic. That's the perfect word to uh, to describe the song. And regardless, I feel like regardless of what you've been through before or experiences that haven't really worked out in your favor or the way you wanted to, I think the one thing in life that we always are open to try again, even if it's harder than the last time, is love. Like, I think there's a lot of spaces in life where you're like, yeah, I'm never doing that again because it didn't work. But for some reason, we always end up trying again uh, with love because it's, like I said at the beginning, I feel like it's just one of those things that as humans, we we all really, really want. So we do yeah, want we added, it. String, we added strings to that. And the violin player, he, he got it spot on. It's like, I didn't even tell him what I wanted. I just said to him, I just want to kind of hear what what you think would fit perfectly on this. And I think he nailed it. It's true though. It's absolutely true before, because now I have to talk to you about not another love song, but I need, I want to ask you about your voice. So how do you classify it? Alto or how do you? You know, no one's ever ever asked me that question before. Why? 
I don't know. That's <laughs> but it's a really good one. I'm definitely an alto. I think I'm way more comfortable in my lower range. I'm not as comfortable in like my falsetto, uh, like or you know, be I'm definitely not a soprano. I definitely not. I've always been an alto to like since I was little. I think my speaking voice is quite um low too. Yeah. It so is. I'm definitely comfortable there, but I like to try and explore and I like to push myself and challenge myself and trying before we even move on to not another love song. Trying is definitely out of my comfort zone vocally, the whole song. Right. Soprano. Yeah. Um, But I think that's also what makes it interesting too, because it's like a softer tone and I'm used to singing like very much so in my chest voice low. So um, I think it definitely shows a different side of me vocally. And when I think about, um, I mean, you're a British girl. So it's very, it would be crazy not to speak to you about what your relationship might or might not be with listening to Sade as you were growing up. Yeah. My mom, my mom loves Sade. I think she's just, she's just the epitome of somebody who really just, and it's effortless too. It's so effortless. I love to listen to vocalists who just sing and it just comes out and it's just beautiful. I think there's something so great about not having to try hard, um, but still being able to evoke or provoke whichever one works better mm-hmm. <laughs> emotion. Um, and she wasn't, she definitely wasn't like the most played in my house. And I think I gained a greater relationship with her music as I got a little bit older. Mm-hmm. But my mom definitely did um did play her around the house. And it's funny because I feel like people, when people think about British uh artists they don't even really say her that much and I think people don't even like a lot of people don't put two and two together that she is British um I think people of my generation anyway I'm pretty sure um people who avidly you know, mm-hmm. vividly listen to um but yeah I, I love Sade she's and I love how natural she is too like I'm very much like she's just she's just so I, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for but it's just she feels pure it, and it's timeless it still feels like it does. I mean, something about you guys will remind me sometimes just because uh, you do, I think it's safe to say also, you do love a good ponytail. So. <laughs> I do. I'm, actually doing one. I'm actually doing one right now. As, right as now. <laughs> right. And so, and you, I think that Sade is very comfortable in her lower yeah. um, registers too. So something, uh, you know, there's something there and I'm, I'm really going to think about it some more. But when I think about Not Another Love Song, man, yeah. listen. <laughs> It's just real sensual. Thank you. It's just, I mean, I immediately started thinking of like uh, drunken love. I've been drinking. I get filthy when that liquor get it to me. I've been thinking. Oh, um, I did for sure. <laughs> oh, I did for sure. Um, can you talk to me a little bit before we get to the insane end of the record because we are going to play the whole song oh yes <laughs> so can you just talk to me about just like the energy the the speak singing and the way it all just feels really offhanded but just really like deeply sensual yeah so not another love song is actually one of the most memorable sessions of my album process for me I remember it's produced by Boy Wonder. The Grammy-nominated Jamaican-Canadian Boy Wonder who produces a lot for Drake. I mean, he produced Drake's breakthrough, Best I Ever Had. He produced Eminem's comeback, Not Afraid. He's the sole producer, Boy Wonder, of Rihanna's work. I mean, you're working with one of the best and most important hip-hop producers of all time. And I was in the studio with Boy Wonder and Jahan Sweet, who was produced by Sorry. And they were playing me a bunch of like little samples and a bunch of little loops. And um, right before these couple sessions, I was kind of in like, uh, I don't want to say, I didn't have writer's block, but I was just like not really feeling what I was making. And I couldn't like figure out why it was that I I didn't really like what was happening. Um, And then... We came across this sound, which was which is not another love song, and, and Boy Wonder's Canadian, and I feel like it's quite a R and B Canadian sound. Uh, mm. that not another love song is, and I was just like, I don't feel like I've tapped into anything that sounds like this, and I was really intrigued by the beat. Um, so we kind of just, I remember I was in, I, I wrote the song with Baron Wade, who I work very closely with, um, and it was literally 
exactly what I was feeling at the time, just like not knowing like where I stood with someone and feeling like I was in love, but like, if I say it, do I mess this up? Do I? Yes. You know, and I feel like everyone's been in, been in that situation before where you're like, I don't know if this is too soon. I don't know if I'm too late. I don't know if they feel the same way. Um, and it's quite a scary like position to be in, especially like we were saying earlier, as I'm used to being like, you know, I'm a very, like, I lay all my cards out on the table. If I feel some type of way, I'll let you know. Um, I'm a Scorpio, so I'm very good at doing that. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. And that's why you that's why you say stuff like, I mean, when you sing, I just want to know what's up because I think I'm in love, or I guess it's all in my head until you let my body know. I was mm-hmm. like, mm-mm. <laughs> like <laughs> Ella May. Okay, so then let's talk about the fact that. Mary J. Blige is at the end of the record. Isn't it insane? Okay, let's listen to a little snatch of the song like right now. No, it's too much. Like, I, I was literally just listening along and just enjoying deeply. And then I was like, wait a minute, is, is that Mary? And then I. It's you really have to ask yourself too because she's not speaking in her singing voice. Yeah, she's speaking like almost like she's leaving you a voicemail. Like maybe yeah. you c- called her to say, "Hey, sis, you know I'm going through something right now. This is what it is. Do you have any words of advice for me?" And then she's just like, "Ella," she says your name. Like, girl, listen, <laughs> tell me how this went. How did this come to be? You know what? I just, I love, I literally, I know I just said this, but I love the way you're breaking all of this down because when I spoke to Mary about this and what I wanted and when I was figuring out how I wanted the whole thing to happen, I was like, I literally want it to be like, I've called you and said I've gone through something. (gasps) And like, when I first, I promise you, when I first wrote down, I had like a a brief dialogue that I wanted her to follow uh, just so she could get like what I wanted her to say. Um, but I said to her, I want you to obviously put it in your own words, but this is what the song is about. And this is what it's leading into. And this is what I would like for you to like roughly, uh, stay around. And it was really her saying like, Hey, I I got your message. Like, sorry, I missed your call type of thing. And then explaining to me or giving me advice. So (gasps) the fact that you said that obviously it didn't end up super, super like that, but the fact that that was conveyed anyway, um, when you listen, makes me really happy. Um, It really is though. It, it's an amazing moment also between two singer songwriters. Yeah, I was so happy because I, I was trying to make it happen for a really, a really long time. Um, but obviously I know she's super busy with filming and um, just, you know, she just put out a new album. So I was like unsure of whether it was going to happen. And I, I remember um, speaking to Mustard about it and I was like, I'm a very big storyteller. Normally I speak on the end of my songs, but I was like, this album, I feel like, uh, I, I feel like I tapped in to a lot of uh, my inner Mary J. Blige, if that's if like if that's the correct way mm-hmm. to say it, a lot of the songs that I was making, I just felt like how I felt when I used to listen to Mary's music growing up. She's a really big influence of mine, and I've had interactions with her before, and she's always been so lovely to me. And I said I sat down and I was speaking to Mustard about, it and I was like, I don't really want to talk on this album, but I want it to almost be like someone's giving me advice. And if there's anyone that I would take, uh relationship advice from as someone who I look at that has always been super, super honest about what she's going through. The only person I would want on here is Mary J. Blige. And uh, Master was like, well, yeah, let's do it. And um, I'm one of the fortunate people in this world to have her phone number. So I remember I um, I called her, I texted her and asked her if she was free to talk. Um, and she was, and I called her and explained it to her. And she was like, yeah, I want, I want to hear the music. So obviously I know what I'm speaking about. And Luckily, right before she did the Super Bowl, she was she was coming to L.A. Um, and I was in L.A. finishing up stuff for the album. Um, and she came to the studio and literally she was like straight off the flight from I think she came from New York and um, came in the studio. And I played us some of the music um, and just remembering how gracious she was towards me and saying how like incredible it was. And she feels like I went through some shit and um, she just really was giving me advice before she even went in the booth. And then I was like, I didn't want to interrupt her, but I was like, I don't want you to give me all these gems. And then you go in the booth and like, you know, I want it to be natural. So she went in the booth 
Mm. And maybe spoke for like five minutes, just speaking, just like off of what she heard, what I was saying. And then we cut it up and like uh, put stuff, you know, like wherever it fit on the album. But um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. She almost made me cry. Literally what she was saying, it was just like, it was amazing. And I'm so grateful to have her as a part of this because I feel like she's the only person that like genuinely, genuinely, like personally for me could have done what I was exactly what I was looking for. And she nailed it. She oh she nailed it to the wall like <laughs> in like into the cement with like she oh she killed it like it's just amazing but before we talk about a couple more songs from the new album I do want to go back a little bit because boot up is really one of my favorite songs of the last ten years thank you uh, it's it's just a perfect record and. When I'm thinking about, okay, so this is where, again, I get into my correct me if I'm wrong space, but I'm thinking you're in either London or Queens or where when you start posting stuff at IG. Um, I mean, I was in London. I lived with my mom. I was in my bedroom. I had a single bed, like really small room, no mic, no manager, no nothing. I just literally, I went to school for music. I worked a retail job at the weekend and I just... Yeah, I was recording stuff from YouTube backing tracks. Okay. So you're doing that, just looking, just like you're saying too. It's like mm-hmm. not really makeup, like hair is doing what it's doing. I looked nuts. <laughs> like if, if, we're, if we're being really, really honest, I looked nuts, but I didn't know any better. So <laughs> that was just what it, was happening. It's so innocent though. It's like, it's so amazing. So then Mustard producer DJ Mustard sees you you guys work out whatever you guys work out and then the next thing you know and I'm I'm speeding things up I know but you're on Kalani's sweet sexy savage tour correct yeah and you've already recorded boot up it's 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 bubbling under and then what must that energy have been like on the tour as you feel your song becoming the huge hit that it became you know what's so wild? So I toured with Kaylani in 2017 when at the very start of the tour was when Ready, my th- third EP came out, which was what Booed Up uh, was on originally. Mm. And at the time, Booed Up wasn't even in my set. And I specifically remember halfway through the tour because I would go out after the show, I would go out um, and I watched Kaylani's set basically every night because I'm just such a fan. Um, but Jacoy and I, who was opening up for her also, we would go out to the merch booth at the end of the show and like take pictures and meet people. Um, and I remember roughly halfway through the tour, people kept coming up to me and was like, why do you not sing Boot Up in your set, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, oh, I don't know why I don't sing it in my set. That's a very good question. And I, I ended up adding it to my set. But even at this time, it wasn't uh, what obviously what it came to be. And then uh, I remember finishing the tour and starting my debut album. And then a couple months later was when it really started um, to pick up. And at this time I had just released my single naked. Um, and I was like super invested in naked. And I remember my manager coming to me and being like, you know, I think, I think boot up is about to, uh, to do something. We need to shoot a video. And me being so set in my ways, I'm like, yeah, no, but we, we just released naked. Like we need to concentrate on that. That's one blah, blah, blah. And he's like, listen, I don't think you understand right now, but you will in like a couple weeks. And he was hundred percent right. And I don't think any of us could have, could have imagined, uh, what Buddha did and is still doing. I think, um, I didn't even realize at the time to be really honest with you. Donnie, let's just listen to a little snatch of Buddha and then we'll talk about it some more afterwards. It's like when I look back now, I realize what it was and what it is. But at the time, I think I was just kind of going with it and going with the wind and just kind of like, I was very naive in my debut era, but I feel like it was best that I was because it made everything so worthwhile as opposed to like super overthinking stuff. Like when I said I wanted to concentrate on naked and I could have really blocked my own blessing. So luckily I have great people around me who are able to, um, you know, sometimes see things that I don't see for myself. Yeah, I, I mean, one, amen. Thank you. Glad you did that because if we had missed out on Buddha, that would have been a, <laughs> a whole um, hot mess for like all of music history. But yeah. what it spoke to me, why the song spoke so loudly to me when I first heard it, um, goes to something you said earlier, which is it is very important for us to think about and write about the toxicity in relationships. 
But mm-hmm. it's as important, if not even more important sometimes, to write about and to sing out with this idea that love is good. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I think as human beings, we um, it's like it's easier to remember when something bad happens as opposed to something good because you always you always remember a little bit more uh, like how something bad made you feel or like the negative effect of something that you've gone through as opposed to the good things. And not that you don't remember the good things, but I think it's just it you feel a little bit like deeper or we think we feel deeper when it's a negative uh, situation. But in reality, when you experience love, like to whatever anyone considers its truest form, because we all have different um, different definitions, of course. But um, I think it's even more powerful than, than the negative stuff. And I think especially if you've experienced negative things before in love, when you do find, uh, you know, the positive stuff and you do find something that you feel is right, it's so much, it's, it's so much more... Um, like memorable to me like if I think back on stuff that that happened that I didn't like as opposed to stuff that happened that I did like I would much rather remember the the good things I don't want to sit and dwell on on negative things and I think when boot up um came to me I I didn't write the the record Joel James wrote it um and there was two verses on it at the time and I added the bridge to it um but I just remember hearing it and Mustard had sent it to me and he was like do you like this and I was like I love this because it's just something that I felt like we hadn't heard uh, in a little while. And, and, and before that, yeah, before that, the last song I can remember that kind of made me feel the same way Boot Up did when I first heard it was like Adorn by Miguel. Just live my love. Just live my love adorn you. Um, mm. Yeah, and I felt, and, and obviously coming from a man as well, I think it's, it's definitely Adorn was, was so beautiful also because that's a record right there from 2012 written and produced by Miguel. Yeah. It's, and that's the, it's a very similar record to boot up in my opinion. Um, so I couldn't like not cut it. And I, I won't lie to you and say that I knew boot up was the one cause I definitely didn't like I was saying, but, um, I just, I just loved it. And I, yeah, I just, I couldn't not cut it and add my own little spin to it at the end. And I was just super grateful for the, the record changed my life. So I, you know, yeah, it's a. Um, I mean, I, there's not there's a such thing as like audacious like entries mm-hmm. into music, and Boot yeah. Up is an audacious is an audacious uh, entry, and it brings me to Fallen Angel from the new album. Oh yes, Be- because I hear that I'm not gonna sing because I'm not any parts <laughs> of LMA. Um, but there, but there's like a ooh ooh. There's like a ooh. ooh. The ooh ooh that comes right before you're saying you're a long, long way from heaven. Mm-hmm. And I hear that and I hear boot up and I'm like, is Ella May out here referencing herself? <laughs> you know what? Funnily enough, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't a conscious effort. Like, I think it's just the way uh, the song came about. But I definitely, once the song was finished, I definitely did uh, realize what you were saying too. Um, but it made me love it even more. Because Boot Up is such a special, you know, a special song to me in my career and just in, in my life in general. And what what the song, and I, I started rehearsals the other day with my band again that I haven't performed with in two years. And we performed, like we were rehearsing Boot Up and it felt like, it just felt like the first time we were doing it all over again. Like it still feels so fresh and so exciting to perform. Um, so yeah, it definitely wasn't a conscious effort on Fallen Angel, but I also think, Maybe it's just one of those things that like lives in my head and I don't even realize. Mm, it's such a great, like, you know, singers have phrases that they're known for. Yeah. Signatures. There's certain things that Aretha does, certain things that Shade does, yeah. you know, and they're not even ticks. They're more just like, this is, this is the language of my vocals. Mm-hmm. And I can... Right. Okay. So LMA, we do appreciate you being so generous with your time. We have just a few more questions. And one is again, with the features again, as with the Mary J Blige moment where I'm literally in my living room going, okay, that is Mary. (laughs) (laughs) 
I know exactly what you're about to say. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. I can't take it because I'm literally just listening along and then I'm like, wait. Mm-hmm. I know that is not Kirk Franklin. I know that it isn't. But the thing is, his voice, like Mary J. Blige's in a whole different genre, is mm-hmm. absolutely and completely distinctive. Kirk Franklin was literally the first person I chose, along with Dallas's God's Property, to be on the cover of Vibe back in 1997. This is when the remix to Kirk's Stomp was headed toward the top of Billboard's pop charts, a gospel record. It had already topped the gospel and the R&B charts. Listen, this was back not too long after both Tupac Shakur and the notorious B.I.G. had been killed, shot down. As a culture, we were in mourning. And then here comes Kirk Franklin, leading the second line. It was like, we're mourning, but we're going to come out of this. We're going to keep making music. We're still going to be us. There hadn't been a gospel record that near the top of the pop charts and at that time close to 30 years. So that would have been like back in the civil rights movement. But in 1997, that Stomp remix featuring Cheryl Salt James of the legendary of the blueprint, Salt and Pepper, that remix was serving up pop Holy Ghost spirit from every radio station everywhere. The video itself changed gospel forever. You understand? Hip hop and gospel. It wasn't just taken for granted or it wasn't just, it hadn't been normalized. Franklin changed all that forever. So just out of respect and really because it's such an amazing record. Let's listen to the song, just a snatch of it. And then Ella will talk more about your fallen angel and Kirk Franklin right after that. Makes me cut. Okay, what a time. Okay, and now I need the story from Inception. What? What happened? Yeah, I like, as as I said with the Mary uh, session as well, I was just so honored. Like it was, it was really almost like a dream come true for me because I, I grew up in church. My grandma was a minister in a Pentecostal church. And um, I remember finishing Fallen Angel and as different as the drums are in Fallen Angel to gospel music, the chords in it feel very gospel-y to me. Um, and obviously I'm, I'm in the song, I'm saying you're a long, long way from heaven. Um, and as much as it's definitely not a, a gospel song, when I finished the song, I was just like, I need a choir on this. Like I remember playing it to people and I was like, I have to have a choir on the end of this. It just feels like what's right. Um, and I remember sitting down again with Mustard and I was like, he was like, okay, well, cool. Let's let's get a choir on it. And I was like, no, I don't want any choir on this. I, I won't mm. put choir on this. Like, <laughs> and I didn't know if it was like, if I was, if that was too far-fetched, I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to make it happen. Um, Cause you know, I don't, I, I never want to just expect. Um, so I was like, hopefully I was really hopeful. Um, and Mustard actually reached out to him for me because Mustard um, has a relationship with him. I'd, I had never met him before or spoken to him before. Can I speak for a second about DJ Mustard? I mean, Mustard is your creative partner. He's known for those finger snaps. He's behind Tyga's massive four times platinum top 10 pop Rack City from 2011. In 2011, could you even get up in the morning without hearing Rack City somewhere? Huge record. Mustard is behind two chains is huge and totally ridiculous. I'm different. Oh my God, that song. That song also everywhere. That was 2012. And then more recently, Mustard is behind Roddy Rich for both ballin' and high fashion. Shawty made that ass clap, she don't need no applause. High fashion, like go, y'all. G-Wagon, or the Rover. Mustard 
is massively underrated. Let me paraphrase Tupac when I say that the music Mustard makes, it's felt. Like it is felt. And that's your creative partner. And I remember Mustard telling me like he played it for him over FaceTime, I believe. And he was really excited about it. So the next time I was in the studio, we FaceTimed him again and I actually got to speak to him. Um, And for a long time, we were trying to figure out how it was going to happen. We sent him the record. But again, like with Mary, when she came and and did it for me, like with me there, I was like, I don't want to not be a part of this of this moment. Um, And Kirk Franklin works in Dallas, where, where he's from. So I was like, I will go to Dallas for the day. I don't care. I, I just want to be a part of it. I want to be there and, and see how it all comes together. Um, so we made that happen and we sent him the song so he could, you know, figure out what he wanted to do with it. And he was asking me what I wanted him to do with it. And I, I just really briefly explained that I wanted it to float. We already had the track list. So we knew how was, was the next one on the um, on the album. Oh, yes. Oh, so yes. We sent him the start of how. And I was like, I want it to really seamlessly transition into how. But I don't want to. I don't want to tell you anything. I want you to to do what you do best because that's the reason I want you. You know, um, a part of it. So I remember going into the the session and they had already started the choir and were in the booth, um, and I just remember hearing it for the first time. And I have footage of all of this, so one day we'll be able to you know release it and everyone can see it. But it was almost. I just sat there silent because you know when you have an idea in your head and then you just watch it like in real time come to life. Um, I couldn't believe what was happening. And, and he was like, do you like this? And I'm like, yeah. And he was like, is there anything you want to change? I'm like, absolutely not. I love all of it. Like, <laughs> it was amazing. And then, so the choir finished their part and I, and I was like sitting there and I was like, but I, you know, I was like, I want you to be a part of it. I want you to speak as if like you're speaking to me. And he was like, me, why do you want me to speak? And I was like, what do you mean? Why do I want you to speak? <laughs> why wouldn't I want you to speak? <laughs> right. But, yeah. And I remember having a conversation with him. And he was like, you know, in the past year, a lot of people have been coming to me and, you know, asking me, um, like a lot of younger people, I guess, younger artists um, have been coming to him and asking him um, for stuff on their records. And he was like, I started to question, like, am I getting old? Am I getting to that age where everybody like just looks at me as like this old guy who used to do music type of thing? And I said to him, obviously, I can only speak from like for myself, but I think an educated guess, like an answer to that question is that we just all look to him when we think about gospel music and not that he's the only one, but in, in me personally, he's the goat. Like I, there's nobody else. Like I said, when I sat down with Mustard, if I'm thinking about a choir and somebody that I wanted to speak to me and for it to be super impactful. And like you said, a voice that's super, super distinctive. Um, he's the only one in the same breath where I say I wanted the same with Mary J. Blige. Um, so I was like, I don't think you should look at it as a negative at all. I think we just coming, you know, from like artist to artist, we, we respect you so much. And I think it's an honor. I, w- I, w- I said to him, I'm honored that you, cause he said to me, it was an honor. And I was just like, no, 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 I don't think you understand here. Like it's an honor for me to be able to sit here and speak with you, let alone have you be a part of my album and your choir. So I remember he went in the booth and like turned the lights down low. He had his candle on and just, yeah. And just started speaking and he came out and he was like, was that okay? And I was like, are you insane? Was that okay? Like, Oh my like God, everything. it's so good. Yeah, it's like, more. it's so good. It's again, it's a case like, he's almost like referencing himself. He's mm-hmm. even a tiny bit like making uh, fun of himself in some ways, or he's not taking himself too seriously. It's, yeah. And now that you say that he was feeling the way he says he was feeling, then you can almost sense this like, a little bit of like this happiness, this joy of doing what he's doing. And then the fact that you use one of the the, the phrases that I love is um, the idea of somebody switching up on you. Mm-hmm. And then you said you wanted it to go seamlessly into the song, How. And I have in my notes here that it, it really does function as a bridge, really. Yeah. To yeah. the song, How, which is a genius record. And the thing is, okay, so I don't feel bad like quoting all the lyrics because they're so good. When you sing Can't Let These Heartless Broken Boys Win, (laughs) when you sing It's Me, Myself, and Time, Mm -hmm. and then my favorite, 
And you keep referring yourself to an alpha girl, and it's true. And this is one speaking to another. So <laughs> when you say how you was acting, it was embarrassing, girl. I, I'm telling you, I spit out whatever beverage was <laughs> I was sipping on because it's such a strong stance. It's the truth. That's why. Like, it's crazy, but like some things... And I love the way you're emphasizing these lyrics. It makes me, like I said again, again, really happy because I'm I uh, I pay a lot of attention to what I say. Like I'm definitely I, I'm in love with melodies, but lyrics are really important to me. Um, and all yeah, all of those lines really just in how I was just in a situation where I was just like at, at, like completely 180 to trying, but it I was embarrassed. I, I feel like in any situation I'm in, I'm never going to embarrass someone. Like I feel like um, I'm always going to try and be on the same page with someone. Um, and where I was at when I was, you know, recording that, that song, that's where, I, that's how I felt. I was just like, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not about to just sit here and let these broken hearted boys win or broken. That what I said? I, yeah. Um, it's, it's a but, sentiment. It is a sentiment that belongs on a t-shirt, on a charm bracelet, <laughs> on a tattoo, like it belongs a lot of places. And then to go from Kirk Franklin and bridge that into yes. Roddy. It's wild though. Cause you know what? At first I was like, I don't know if this makes any sense. Like, am I doing too much? But then when I listened to it in its entirety, like the album, I was like, this actually makes no sense, but so much sense at the same time. <laughs> it's so, and he sounds Fantastic. Okay, so just let me say this. LMA, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. There's so much more to say. We didn't even get to speak about you working with Lotto for Didn't Say. She slowed it down rhyming on your song. It's a very old school flow she has. Very different from her huge, 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 huge hit Big Energy. And when you sing in Didn't Say... You missed a couple, and I'm quoting, you missed a couple of things from the full frame. When you sing, sis, watch me swerve lanes on you, flip game on you. Things change when you got things to do, end quote. I think I stood up at that point in my living room. The songwriting chops are sharp. I love the way I get from you, too that you know who you are. It's beautiful to witness. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Black Girls Songbook. We hope to have you back and we wish you all the success that this world has to offer you. Thank you. No, thank you. And I'll, I'll, I'll be back soon, I promise, because I love the way you was describing everything. So I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. All right, bet. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Bye. I literally have no words. I have no words. Okay, no, I have the words. I have three words. Those words are OMG. Those are my words. I hear so much in Heart on My Sleeve, on LMA's new album. I hear so many traces of people. I hear the people whose shoulders she's standing on. I hear in this album the things that she was probably listening to as a little girl, I can hear the things, honestly, the things that her mom was probably listening to. Because, you know, I believe that kind of thing comes through. Music is real like that and magic like that. I hear Tracy Chapman in this new album. I do. I definitely hear Beyonce. I hear Drake. I don't know if you're familiar with the British duo, Everything But The Girl. But the singer in that duo is Tracy Thorne. And I hear Tracy Thornishness type things in Heart on My Sleeve. What a lovely conversation. Oh, and did we mention that Heart on My Sleeve is in what Mary J. Blige says on this album? So she pulled from what Mary said? Come on, like... Just a lovely conversation. I wanted more. I always do. And if you are looking for more conversations like this, 
you know that you can find me when I'm not on Songbook, on Twitter and Instagram, doing the absolute most. My name on both platforms is Danamo, and that's D-A-N-A-M-O. And let me tell you, the team, the team that puts together Black Girl Songbook, I mean, let's just call it what it is. They're amazing. They get it done. I don't like anybody to work on days off or too early or into the night or any of those things. But sometimes I think when you believe in something, you do do that. I'm grateful to Team Black Girl Songbook. They're a brilliant ringer crew. They keep this whole thing together, not just this episode, but episode by episode and season by season. We have producer Trudy Joseph, audio producer Donnie Beecham. We have story consultant Taj Rani, and we have DJ Steve Porter on sound design. Our talent booker is Allison Turner. And did she not do the damn thing with this booking? Hello, Allison. Yes, we do. Thank you. And on additional production supervision, we have Juliet Littman and Chelsea Stark-Jones. Amanda Long is our publicist and Sean Fennessy is always close by with advice and much encouragement. Black Girl Songbook is here for you on Spotify via The Ringer. And you can also listen to Songbook wherever you catch your favorite podcast. My new book is out. Please don't forget we are out here. We are out here. It's called Shine Bright. A very personal history of Black women in pop, and it's available at your favorite booksellers online. Go on out there. Please go and deal with your independent booksellers. Go to Black-owned bookstores. Go to bookstores owned by people from marginalized communities. Um, Shout back at me about the book and about Songbook at Social I Love to hear from you and p.s if you're in my hometown of oakland please try marcus books it's the bomb try them too you can try them online and you know that we always have a song for you on the way out so let's go with lma's brand new didn't say featuring atlanta's own lotto man they're a dynamic duo and i'll catch you next time on our Black Girl Songbook, the place where Black women in music receive the credit that we are due. And it's all in the things that you didn't say.